You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. But the point is, it's not about selling jewelry. Anybody can make jewelry and sell it. We're trying to tell a story. We're trying to do our part in changing the narrative of Africa through sharing their rich culture, their rich heritage that each country has. And the way we're doing it is the jewelry is a vehicle of how we're bringing that out. So it's not about oh, this, I'm done. Like this design is whatever frustrating me, then fine, don't do it. Delegate it to somebody else. Because the why is not about creating one of a kind piece. That comes with the actual work. It comes with the territory. Hello, hello, it's Naomi here. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Why podcast, where I talk to creatives and founders about their purpose and how they navigate living on their own terms. As you know, I also package these episodes into show notes that break down the conversation, provide links to resources and people that we mentioned in the episode, and very practical ways to explore yourself and your creativity. So make sure to subscribe to the newsletter. I've dropped the link in the description box. Enjoy this week's episode. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I am joined by the incredible Sebla Alamayu. Sebla, how are you doing today? I am doing good, Naomi. Thanks for having me. You know what? Thanks so much for being here. Uh, I know that the past couple months have been insane for you with your business and uh, with both your businesses and also on the consulting side. So, Uh, Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. My pleasure. Anytime. So I'll start with providing you a little bit more context on Sebla. So Sebla is the co-founder of a startup called Yane, a jewelry brand that takes you on a journey inside Africa through its exquisite jewelry designs that are inspired by deeply rooted African cultures. Sebla holds an MBA from the University of Maryland and has over nine years of consulting experience, really supporting companies, including Fortune 500 professional services firms, uh, nonprofit, and also uh, U.S. federal government agencies and small businesses. And for the past five years, you have been an independent consultant and also an entrepreneur. So I'm super excited to delve in, learn a little bit about your backstory, uh, how Yene started, and where you find yourself today as well. Well, looking forward to sharing. (laughs) Um, So can you provide us a little bit more details about your origin story and, and how you grew up, your family life, and your time in Ethiopia before you moved to the U.S.? Sure. I grew up in Ethiopia, born and raised in Addis Ababa. Both my mom and dad own their own business. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Um, I have four older brothers, but they moved to the U.S. when I was very young. So I grew up kind of like a a lone child. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so um, I was um, in Addis until I, I finished high school. Ethiopia. So um, I went to the same school for middle school, for high school. So my friends were kind of like, you know, sisters and friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to an all girls Catholic school. Um, In fact, my uh, business partner for Yene, uh, Fee, um, she was my friend from high school. Um, So we we met when we were um, in ninth grade. Um, So after I finished um, high school, you know, I was fortunate enough for my family to be able to 
send me to the U.S. for my education, right? And so I moved here, and I have kind of a, a funny story where when I was in Ethiopia, you know, like America was America, right? Like mm-hmm. whether it's D.C. or you know, South Dakota or Iowa, doesn't matter. America's America. <laughs> so when I applied for colleges, I was actually accepted by a couple of colleges, but it came down to, you know, I was going to be an international student, which means that, you know, your tuition is just much better than being like a, an international student with no financial aid, right? And so mm-hmm. it came down to me accepting an offer in a college in Waverly, Iowa, Okay, so if you don't know it, it gives you a good context, right? It's just me. Yeah. like, yay, I got this really great deal. And I came here and the first couple of like weeks that I was here, people would be like, oh, good job. You know, you got a scholarship. That's amazing. Where are you going? And I'd be like, oh, just, you know, so and so I tell them Wartburg College and they're like, oh, where is it? And I said, it's Wartburg, um, uh, Waverly, Iowa. And people would be like, Iowa? what are you doing in Iowa, right? <laughs> and that was the first moment where I questioned my decision to say, what have I mm. done? Like, where am I going, right? But right. at the end of the day, you know, I went there and that experience, to be honest with you, hasn't impacted till today, which is basically I, I went to Iowa, you know, we did have a diverse international student groups, but it also had a whole bunch of group that was completely clueless about me, my story, where I'm from, right? I would get comments like, oh, where are you from? And I'll be like, Ethiopia. I'd be like, where is that? Or it'd be like, oh, cool. You're you're from Africa, right? Like, like as in Africa, the country, right? Because the diversity <laughs> was not there. Um, or it would be yeah. like, oh, you're actually like big. Like, so you're kind of well-nutritioned. Like you're okay. Like, and I'm talking about in different shapes and form, right? Not seeing it in any negative way, yeah. but it kind of was a point for me to be like, wow, like, where am I? What have I done? And, you know, it kind of makes you feel so out of place, right? I lasted there for a year. Then I moved back to where I am now. I'm in Virginia. Before I graduated from college, I had an opportunity to go back to Ethiopia for about three months to do my internship at Ernest & Young. And that kind of opened Mm -hmm. up the door for me in terms of my career path to say, you know what, I want to follow consulting for my career track. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't, you know, it was a, you know, it's these small decisions you make, but you don't know how it impacts your next step. Right. And so I came back to the U S and that was the 2008 crisis. Like the whole economy was bad. You couldn't get a job. And so um, I took that time, like I told you earlier, like I came from an entrepreneurial family. So I've always known that I was going to do something. I just didn't know what that something was or when I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. But during that downtime, I uh, prepped and I started my MBA, right? Because I knew I needed it. It's just like, all right, you know what? Now is a good time to do it. So did my MBA then while I was still working uh, part-time working and then eventually you know the economy got better got back on track to my consulting uh, did that for about five six years mm-hmm. and then that's when like for me life challenges happened which was there was no life work balance I was extremely exhausted I was working very long hours I was getting sick from exhaustion and from mm. stress And that was the point where I actually made a decision to quit my job because I got sick from working. Like 
no other reason, not entrepreneurial reason. I got sick, so I had to stop. And it was during that time I went back to Ethiopia and Fee, my business partner for Yeni, she had she used to live here, but she had moved to Ethiopia at that time. So we found ourselves kind of like in a different, you know, stages in our life, but in the same kind of question to like, is this what life is about? Like, what do we want to do? Like, what do we want to do? For me, it was like, I'm exhausted. I'm sick. For her, she just made this big move to Ethiopia. She also has her MBA from Maryland. We went to the same school. But she was kind of like, well, I don't I don't want to do the same corporate, you know, go back to work. So we were, we were catching up over coffee. And that's when the first conversation to what would later evolve to be Yeni mm-hmm. happened. Right? It was this big gap that we couldn't kind of pinpoint what it was, but we both felt like we have to do something. And I think they say the rest is history after that, but that was right. kind of like the starting point. And that was in 2014. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So 2014, yourself and Fee were at a coffee shop in Ethiopia and both in a state of, you know, what's next, asking yourself those really, really important questions. Um, mm-hmm. Were you encouraged were you comforted to know that one of your best friends from high school was also in the same space as you and you guys were going to figure this thing out together you know what were some of the feelings that were coming up you know at that coffee shop definitely I mean anytime somebody makes you feel like you're not insane for feeling certain way always helps right if you come to me and say you know what I don't know what it is but lately, I'm just kind of feeling this emptiness. Like, I don't know what what it's being prompted by. Or maybe I know, but I just don't know how to fix it, right? Anytime you say that, if you talk to someone and they're like, well, you'll get over it, you'll be fine, it's just a phase, maybe take a break. Like, if somebody says that to you versus, like, with Fee, she, she also, you know, was feeling it maybe for, like, different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. But it was, we were in the same boat of, like, wanting to do something there has to be something and then the challenge was what is that something so we were kind of like bouncing ideas talking about it knowing what gives you know like what gives you joy like what is it that you want to do like and we again it helped for us because we've been friends since high school right Right. so it's not like I'm sitting trying to form a partnership (laughs) right like you know like because I, I know a lot of people who who have their business with partners that they've met later on as adults, you know, through work and what have you. But for me and Fee, it was much easier because a lot of times we were talking about even personal matters, right? Like our lives, like from way back, like there was a a deeper sense of connection. So it was easier to talk as a friend and not so much think of it like, you know, whether it was going to be like a business venture or was it strictly work or was it strictly life? It was kind of like jumbled up, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, before we delve into what that journey, what your journey was like in consulting and, you know, reaching a point where you burned out. And from what I recall in our previous conversations, you actually found yourself in the hospital. Like it got mm-hmm. really bad and, in terms of health and, and really understanding what you needed in that moment. Um, I really want to, to talk about that. But first, I'd like to understand how did being in Ethiopia and having that conversation, you know, impact you? Was it, would it have been different had you been in the U.S.? You know, for me, I've been to Ethiopia 
maybe three times in my life, but there's always this sense of home and I definitely feel this sense of, you know, familial attachments and like, these are my people and Mm -hmm. um, definitely a sense of like security of anything. But for you was having that conversation and being necessarily certain about what the future held. Was it different being back home in Ethiopia for you? It was to a certain extent, like, so because I was born and raised there, right? Initially, that's all I knew, right? I was not exposed to any external influences or factors that would later come when I moved to the US, right? It can be because of the cultural differences, because of just generally how life is or the access to resources or information that you have that would influence every decision you make, right? As little as education or work or life or whatever it may be were you in the u.s from the beginning right mm-hmm. so for me that that was my default that was my it's kind of like you said that's home that's my people that's my culture you know it's like that it's kind of like that sense of home and familiarity and pride so i think it's more about the moment in our life where we were and not so much the where we were yeah right. mm-hmm. and so before you were, you were even in that coffee shop talking about this in 2014, um, you worked in the in the consulting industry. You know, what was your experience like entering that space and, you know, having underwent the process of doing your MBA for, for two years? Looking back, I don't know how I did it. I can tell you that much. <laughs> it was very hard. So when I was working, I was at that time supporting a federal government agency as my client. And so it's your, you know, your traditional, supposedly nine to five job, but there's no such a thing really as nine to five, right? So you're working longer hours, but at the same time, you have this commitment that you have with the MBA program, which it's a very intense program. It's not one of those things you go to school, learn and get out. Like there's a lot of commitment, a lot of projects, um, a lot of work in general. So it was exhausting, which I think also contributed to what you mentioned earlier, how I ended up getting sick and what have you. But that also has a contribution, right? Because you're mm-hmm. physically pushing yourself, right? You're It's an everyday thing. There's no weekends because you're using your weekends for school to do your homework, your project, what have you. And so it was kind of like a nonstop uh, phase. For the MBA, one of the things I want to say was when I started the program, again, the decision I made to start the program at the time that I did was really influenced by the time when the whole economy was down, right? And so I was one of the youngest students in the cohort. I was 24 when I started the program, right? Mm -hmm. The median age was like 28, 29. And so when I started, my level of confidence was almost non-existent because I had this feeling of, oh, I'm so young, like, you know, like a lot of my classmates were senior consultants or managers or, you know what I mean? Like they came from a work environment, they have work experience. And here I I am finding myself to be like, what do I have to give? So my confidence was very low. The three years was the point, to be honest with you, where my confidence went up because I had to learn to work with others and be very comfortable about what I do, what I have to offer, my opinion. So that sense of discomfort and getting to know yourself and being comfortable with yourself 
was very important. The other thing that was very important, which later translates to the entrepreneurial journey, was in general, the MBA program, you know, you, you know, they're trying to prepare you for a managerial, for a leadership role. And so you have to be comfortable with your personal awareness. As a leader, you have to be aware of your own weakness, strength, or whatever it is that you don't know, and be okay with it. You have to be okay with getting constructive criticism. You have to be okay with working by yourself, working with others. And so there was a whole lot of that that happened. And so it was a, a period of fast growth. I don't know if mm -hmm. I can say that. It was just a lot of learning. Accelerated. At a fast, it's so accelerated. And so both of us went through that way of thinking. Like, it's almost like we were molded in the same way of, you know, same program, right? And so when we got out, we got out with this level of confidence that we didn't have before. And we were also very comfortable. It later gave us a skill set that was so critical for, I feel like, the success that you can have in your entrepreneurial path when you're starting a business. And you mentioned that awareness piece of being in the program, finding your sense of self, but also challenging yourself to speak up and raise your hand and share your, you know, your thoughts and your research. So what would you say that you learned the most through that process that you probably wouldn't have gotten in the same way without that experience? There's just one thing that stands out for me. Um, it was a leadership development class, and mm -hmm. they made us go through this it's it's one of those like personality tests. It was a 360 test where they put you in an environment where you're having a conversation, you're being videotaped, your peers are grading you, you're mm -hmm. grading you, and then you're grading others. It was it was kind of coming from different angles. I remember the professor said, "Listen, I'm about to give you guys the response from, you know, this test, and before you open it, I just want to highlight something." As a human being, if you're put in a room and that room is painted all white and there's that one corner with a black spot, guess what's going to happen? You're going to deviate and just keep looking at that black spot, even though the entire room is white. And so she said, I'm going to give you something which has a lot of good stuff, but then it also has this some not great stuff. And then you're going to be so affected by it, even though you're being told of, all the strengths that you may have, you're also being fed this weakness. But you need to know those weaknesses and the blind spots that you have in order to improve yourself. And so sure enough, we get our report and everybody's obsessing about, you're telling me I have no emotional intelligence? Or <laughs> you're telling me I have no this or that? And what that really told you was that you have to be okay 100% with who you are. There's no right or wrong. There are certain things that you're so good at. There are some things that you're just not great at. And the first step is to know that so that you can say, hey, you know what? I'm not so great at this. So um, I need help in this area. Or if you come to a point where it's like a business, you will learn to delegate that because that's not your greatest thing that you have. So that program literally made you from this oblivious person who didn't have to think about some things that are uncomfortable to really kind of seeing this to be in this very uncomfortable position it it ended up being the most important thing that I went through mm -hmm. yeah I can imagine as soon as I think if you can start sitting with that internal conflict and oh this is challenging everything that I believe about myself mm -hmm. those are the areas that 
really push you to to grow and I think also see yourself differently coming out of it I'm really happy that I'm really happy that you walked through that experience and were able to build all of these incredible things. Um, So can you, um, yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about what that, you know, the health component was like for you. So the health component was a combination of things, um, which I briefly mentioned with the, you know, going to school part-time, going to work full-time, you know, you get tired, you get burnt out, and then you don't have enough time to go on vacations and what have you. So it kind of started with that. And then once I finished my MBA program, I changed jobs. And that last one year before I quit, I was basically working around anywhere from 10 to 12 hours nonstop for months. And so it got to a point where I would just be sitting down trying to do my work and the room would start spinning. Right. And I would like close my eyes and I'm like, what's happening? And somebody's like, no, I think you're having like a a vertigo. And I'm like, what is that? (laughs) You know? Um, And then the last part for me was I started developing this choking sensation, kind of like you would take this big vitamin pill without water and it feels like stuck in your throat. Uh, Yeah. And that wouldn't go away. So I was kind of nervous and I went to the doctor. He asked basically like my lifestyle, what I do for a living, what I, what have you. And he said, it's classic symptom of chronic stress. Some people develop migraine. Some people have the same feeling that you do. And it, it was actually a common thing. Like one of the, the cho- choking sensation was one of the things that I found out people feel. So he said, just take a few days off. I did. Completely went away. And then four days later, I went back to work. And I kid you not, the moment I got to the office, sat down, open my it came back yeah it came back and I remember the feeling until today I was like I don't belong here I'm just like so miserable (laughs) and just I just needed to get out and that was the point where I said you know what I mean I'm young like if I'm gonna like perish this way what what good would I do so I sat there gave my two weeks notice and I was out and I never and, and I never went back (laughs) after that your your body will tell you everything that's that's going on and um and sometimes it that will be the thing that stops you fully in your tracks you know I have to change something um and it's pretty crazy how fast it came up too like it almost like a resurgence after you uh, step back into the office and you listened. Yeah. And one of the things that the doctor said to me is like, you know, your our body, our bodies gave us this signal, mm-hmm. right? It can be, you know what? I'm lately I find myself being constantly tired. I'm sleeping, but I still feel tired. Or you're you're having headaches more frequently. There's some symptom that's happening. And he said, that is your body trying to tell you hey, this is me. I'm trying to tell you to slow down. Like I need a break. And then you're not, you're not listening. And so what happens is it gets to a point where your body's like, you know what? I need to do something drastic for you to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And so you, you start then getting this debilitating kind of, you know, signals where you're kind of like, okay, you know what? Now I'm kind of pushing it. I need to step back. Mm -hmm. So, so oftentimes we put ourselves in a position where we're on like go 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 and you're not getting maybe enough enough rest and recovery and you're you get to a point where you're just like 
you're done. You can't even do what you wanted to do. And so with starting the business and working with Fee, can you walk us through the development of your business and how you've been navigating your health amongst that as well? Sure. So 2014 was like when we had that first coffee meetup and just said, okay, let's do something, right? But it would take us maybe a year to formally figure out what it, what that thing was. So in 2015, University of Maryland was having this eight weeks startup boot camp, and it was centered about helping startups start and scale their business. And so we were one of the 17 businesses that participated in the program. And that program, to be honest with you, was the starting point for what is now defined to be Yene. From a business perspective, it helped us define our model, help us understand what it is that we're trying to do, who we were trying to serve, the specifics of basically what we're trying to do. And so we were modifying and being clear on, okay, you know what? This now this now makes better sense. This is how we can do it. Like we're still clearing our head. So I want to give your audience that sense to be like, oh, I had an idea and then I went and I did it. It wasn't mm-hmm. that way. Initially we had conversation. It was like, we need to do something. We don't know what. And then it went to, we want to do something meaningful, but fun. We knew, okay, you know what? We're going to do something within the fashion industry. We're both jewelry lovers. We said, okay, jewelry, that's step one. But then it's kind of like, what kind of jewelry? For what purpose, right? We were. It took us about a year to even clearly articulate what it is that we were trying to do. And so when we did the startup bootcamp in eight weeks, that helped us shape and mold the meaning, the why, essentially, right? The why. We, you know, you, we're kind of doing like, okay, this is what we're doing, the what, what, what. And it's kind of like, but it doesn't make sense, right? What What is it that we're trying to get back to? And so we went through that in 2015. And then we had to come up with that prototype, that idea, right? We had to translate it. We're obviously in a product base. Uh, we're a jewelry brand. We have a physical product. So we had to come up with an idea and then make it into something physical. 2015 was kind of the year where we were evolving and be like, no, let's do this. Let's do that. Kind of like playing with it. Then the entire 2016 was the year where we were trying to take our prototype and scale it into production. Mm -hmm. And that was the point where basically things started to just close down. All the things that you (laughs) can think of going wrong, uh, hitting, hitting that like plateau of like you 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 figured it out you're you know what you were gonna do and then when it came to like manufacturing we were having a hard time we went all the way to India we were doing work in Ethiopia we were exploring Dubai we were doing work in in the U.S. I mean we were all over the place just to trying to bring out about our idea so during 2016-2017 what was happening was a lot of frustrations a lot of discouragements, kind of like that breaking point where you're like, oh man, do we want to do this? Why why are we doing this again? (laughs) And, And so things did not actually happen until 2018. Okay, so the conversation happened in 2014. But 2018 was when we did our pre-launch and started even, you know, sharing it Mm -hmm. with people. And then 2019 is when it officially launched so it took a long time to to get it to that starting point Mm -hmm. so that the end it was at the end of 2018 where you pre-launched into the 
U.S. market, 2019. Yes. I'm most fascinated by the production piece. And at that point, were you traveling to these different countries and figuring out who are we going to partner with to bring these pieces to life? What was that period like for you? Oh, yeah. That was not a fun period at all. I mean, looking back, it's one of those things that we will remember the most about our startup fees, that the most unpleasant experience you have serves you to be the, the one memorable thing that you, like the good milestones, you'll celebrate it at the moment, and then you kind of move on. Like the difficult ones, those are the <laughs> ones that, that yeah. get stuck, that get stuck in your head because, you know, you're kind of hopeful. You're these like, just imagine us two very yeah. excited, as Fee's husband calls us, the two greenfield, you know, like we're just very <laughs> optimistic about things and just like, oh, we have this idea, it's going to work. Right. And so it was a point where even manufacturing companies did not want to take us. Right. Because we're too small. They don't take startups. They don't accept startups. Um, We are, you know, usually you're seen as, you know, you don't bring them a enough business. Right. Your work order is not going to be big enough for them to even consider taking your work to the the type of designs that we had for initially we started in the u.s okay so the design was so intricate Mm -hmm. and it was so complex that they just didn't want to deal with that type of work but most importantly at the initial phase you have a lot of questions you have to be like hey can you do this or can we fix this or they're asking you for specific measurements be like oh you know how many millimeters of this should it be and we're like can you help us (laughs) (laughs) you know sometimes they would ask us questions and i kid you not we would go to google and be like what does this mean you know because we didn't know what we were doing and so the two two and a half years of going from literally we started in new jersey that's where the prototype started didn't go further we tried new york they would not take us because it was just like literally i have an email that says we do not accept small businesses okay so we were put in a position where we wanted to do this in ethiopia from the beginning because we wanted again we're trying to promote the culture the heritage of a, of africa country by country right so initially the the designs that we are showcasing now is that of ethiopia and eritrea mm-hmm. so we wanted it to be you know a, a large component of the work we wanted it to be made in ethiopia and that's actually where we started but the the craftsmanship the production the quality the materials, everything we needed was not, is not, still is not there, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why we had to start with a place that can bring our product to reality without all those obstacles. Because we're startups, we don't have large capital. So we can't create the production. We cannot do the hiring. We cannot bring the human capital from abroad to train the local artisan and set up our own manufacturing without proving the concept, the idea that Yeni has, right? You have to first prove your assumption to say this brand is worthy. It's proven. So we're going to do this at a large scale. We were not at that point. So we had to constantly outsource it and go buy a company that is able to help us. And that that is the point where we have to like go five, six, seven places to try it out. We try it, doesn't go further. Try it, doesn't go further. And so finally, we ended up coming back to the US where everything is manufactured in the U.S. with parts of our production, which is particularly our gemstones, are sourced, handcrafted in Ethiopia. Then it comes to California to get assembled to finish the product. 
So our supply chain had to do had to <laughs> had to take a lot of turns to kind of get it to where we are. It definitely has been an interesting journey, but it teaches you in the process. Mm-hmm. And so, was this your first experience selling your own product? Maybe it sounds like it was in the jewelry sense, but did you have like trials and tribulations testing other products first, or trying out other businesses first, or was this your first go at it? For my own product, yes, yeah. Yeni is my own first product. I was um, selling, I was an independent stylist for a company called Stella and Dot, based mm-hmm. in um, California. So it was a jewelry brand where you basically are their front store, right? Like you're uh, doing pop-up events, what have you, showcasing jewelry, selling, whatever. So I had that experience, but again, it's not my brand, not my dream. I didn't go, I literally had a product and I was trying to sell it. Right. Uh, But with Yeni, yes. From the vision to the making, to the selling, everything. Yeah. Yeni is the first experience. Fascinating. And before we started recording this episode, you were talking about preparing for the December sort of holiday season. So for anyone who's sort of interested in creating their own product like this in the fashion jewelry space, what does your year often look like? And in terms of the planning phases of these, it obviously doesn't happen a month before. So um, what exactly does your world look like right now? But before I get like specific into that, like one of the things I would say in general about the business, one of the things that I've learned is even when you plan things, they don't go the, the way you plan them. So let's say you might be like, oh, you know what? Let's plan this for two months and we'll have a buffer. That even then, it will just not happen. There's always chaos, things not going your way. There are delays, especially if your work requires the service of other businesses. Mm-hmm. The ball is not in your court. As fast, as fast and as efficiently you do things, once it leaves your court, whatever proper planning you do, it just doesn't go your way. And so one of the things that we've had to learn, and honestly, it's not like a checklist to be like, check, we learned this. It's like an ongoing thing. Like as I'm talking to you, there are things that we went through in terms of like lags and trying to do better planning ahead of time. And even when you do that, then there's another layer of obstacle that comes that will disrupt what you think you learned. So just take the pandemic that we're in right now. You can never plan for the unexpected. That's everybody's affected by that. But as a business, you still have to exist. You still have to continue doing what you're doing, but you just have to do better with what your current reality is. Now, granted, the pandemic is just a completely extreme scenario, right? But prior to that, for us as a product-based company, there's design that's involved. There's the prototyping of that design. There's the production of that design. But then before you even go to the production, there are things that are uh, that in between where you're like wearing the product enough time, testing it, maybe giving it to a few people to wear the product to make sure it's okay. You get feedback. And sometimes what you're learning is you think you did it to the best of your ability because, you know, there's technology that you can use. Like there's all these tools and softwares that we're using to design our jewelry and you factor things to be like, oh, this might be scratchy. This might be this or that. Even after factoring that, when the physical product comes, you may find, oh, this is not good. By the time you identify that, let's say your manufacturers have taken their sweet time 
to deliver what they told you might have taken, let's say three weeks, four weeks into like, it might even be like two months. Oh, we're busy. We'll, we'll get back to you. Especially if you're a startup, if you're a small business, you're competing with businesses, mid-level, you know, top level businesses that are giving them quantity production of like in the thousands and thousands. And so you're always pushed at the uh, bottom of the list. And so by the time you identify some problems, that would already eat up a couple of months and you're kind of passing that time where you have to be in the market. And so the rule of thumb for our industry is like you try to finish things up a season ahead. So if you're trying to do something for the holiday, you better be, you know, working on it now or even be finishing now. So the more seasoned companies, they're already done. They already know what they're releasing for the holiday season. They already know. They have it on their hand. So those are the kind of things as a business that there's a lot of learning in the process. And then as a result of maybe certain things you're not anticipating, there's also a lot of lag that takes place. Yeah, fascinating. Even around learning as you go, oh, we received this email, let's go on to Google and try to figure out what those next steps look like. That's very real. And I'm glad that you and Fee are doing this together. And, um, you know, you have a co-founder that's really invested as much as you are to building this incredible business. And I'll be sure to link the website in the show notes. I was just, as you were talking, I was looking at the beautiful designs and everything sort of brings me back home. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is what we mm-hmm. wear at weddings. All of the design is like, very detailed and intricate so I just want to say like beautiful job on on your end for for putting all of this together it's really incredible thank you as we wrap up the episode I'd love for you to talk a little bit about today how you intentionally take time to learn about yourself um I especially this year (laughs) I have failed miserably but I I always try to wake up early enough Um, And by early enough, I usually mean around 5 a.m. to have that time where I do my journaling, my gratitude, reading my books that I want to read for the month. And also every month, beginning and end of the month, I always make sure to really be honest with myself in terms of how do I feel. And I, I try to get that holistic thought process about how I feel from different perspective to really make sense for myself. Like it's so important for me to know how I feel. I also connect with, and I've said this to you before when we talked at the beginning, it's so important to reach out to others, even those that you don't necessarily know too well, to have this sense of conversation to be like, hey, you know, I appreciate the work you're doing or this or that. Uh, If you have a moment, can I talk to you about X, Y, and Z. It's so important because you do have your immediate friends that you talk to, but then there's also a certain journey that you're going through that you want to connect with specific people that will understand that specific path. So Fee and I have each other for our business, but then we're also constantly like trying to connect with others to make sense of our journey as well. So I do that personally. Right. That's even how I reached out to you. We were in this call with 
nine other Habesha professionals and mm-hmm. listening to everyone's story. I, I resonated with yours a lot because you just shared honestly, you know, what you've been building and what you've been working on. And then I reached out to you after I'm like, hey, I'd love for us to, to chat and, yeah. and learn a little bit more about each other. And so I 100% agree with with reaching out to people who live in different countries and who have gone through different uh, paths as well. It's really powerful. Yeah. And one thing I want to say, at least from an entrepreneurial perspective, one of the things I I share with others is from the outside, it might be like, oh my goodness, you know, it's so nice. You know, you have this thing going for, you have this podcast and you're meeting people or you you have this jewelry brand and it's great, whatever. But Mm -hmm. one thing I say is being an entrepreneur can be the most isolating experience. Some of the times you feel like certain things you're going through is either, you know, your own thinking. And when you connect with others, right. It's like, wow, this is actually normal. Like it's normal part of the growth process or it's a normal mm-hmm. part of the journey that you have to go through. And I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, sometimes you kind of need that validation too. Um, and you wouldn't normally know that unless you connect with others who are on that journey. So that's why it's so important to connect in the process of your own self-discovery and also learning to make sense of what you're thinking mm-hmm. sometimes. attest to that. Exactly. (laughs) And the final question is, what is your why, Sibla? You know, when shit hits the fan, when you were in 2016, 2017, during that really hard phase, (laughs) what is is the reason that you keep going? The reason that you're like, okay, no, I have to keep pushing at this point. This is not the end of this chapter. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, because I shared with you my story of like having been sick, having had my own experience of like going through that, you know, traditional get educated, you get a job in a, in a field you're pursuing, whatever. But I've gone to a point where even doing something that I thought was my path has resulted in me leaving because I got sick. So at the end of the day, for me, life is way too short. It's really not worth to spend a lot of my time where, especially if it has anything to do where most of my time is invested in work. If I'm, if I don't have joy, you know, and cannot always be happy. I'm not, my why is not to be like, oh, to be happy, I'm going to do something that makes me happy. No, it's not really because your happiness is, is influenced by so many things in different stages of life. For me, my why is I wake up, am I doing what I want to do? Am I doing something that gives me joy? Literally, it's as simple as that. Like, and sometimes when I am so, you know, frustrated, especially like my frustration comes as part of my entrepreneurial journey because it's a roller coaster, right? And sometimes it makes me like, oh, why are we doing this? And one of the things I ask is, why not? What would I rather be doing that's giving me joy mm-hmm. than what I'm doing right now that's really frustrating me? Because everything you do, even the, the thing that gives you the most joy is going to cause you the most frustration in the process. And another thing I really want to point real quick is the why questioning. I'm a little bit careful with that as well sometimes because when you're so exhausted and you don't have rest, even when you know your why, you will lose that. It will be blurry. So right. you have to rest and recover and have a clear head. And that's when you can get your focus back, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Even when you know your why is what I'm saying. But I, I kind of wanted to add a disclaimer because even when you do know your why, that severe exhaustion can lead you to like not even knowing how to answer that question sometimes. 
Sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, like, with Yeni, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, why, why didn't we choose to do jewelry? So, <laughs> like, we joke about it, right? We really joke. P and I joke about this sometimes because we're so tired. But the point is, it's not about selling jewelry. Anybody can make jewelry and sell it. We're trying to tell a story. We're trying to do our part in changing the narrative of Africa through sharing their rich culture, their rich heritage that each country has and the way we're doing it is the jewelry is a vehicle of how we're bringing that out so it's not about oh this i'm done like this design is whatever frustrating me then fine don't do it delegate it to somebody else because the why is not about creating one of a kind piece that comes with the actual work it comes with the territory so sometimes if you're so frustrated i think you need to step back which fee and i have kind of like the ability to do so because it's the two of us sometimes, right? To be like, I'm so tired. Can you be online? I need to disconnect. Like I've had times when I've done it. She's had times when she's done it. You know, she's a mom of two boys. So when she has to like take maternity leave, whatever, and rest and recover, whatever, she's able to do so because I'm here. So that rest and recovery to a degree, we haven't mastered it. We still need to do it. But I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an important piece. And so I think just giving yourself permission to step back and find your grounding again and invest and like pour into yourself is very, very important. I agree. Huge thank you again, Sevla. I really appreciate it. Uh, For people who want to connect with you, what is the best place for them to do that online? So for connecting with us, for our jewelry brand, I would definitely encourage people to check out our website or social media, um, Yene Collection. It's Y-E-N-A-E Collection, at Yene Collection. Beautiful. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode. And if you have any questions, make sure to reach out to Sevla directly or myself, and we'd be happy to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find the show notes at naomihaile.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to The Power of Why on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I look forward to you listening to next week's episode.